Well, good morning this morning, and uh, I'd just like to make a couple comments on what Mr. Hancock had to say. One of my great joys and uh, privileges in my Christian walk was to be able to go to Columbia um, with this organization and, and uh, see firsthand people's lives changed by a minuscule amount of money uh, handled properly under local people that have that give oversight to these folks that um, borrow this money and end up paying it back. Um, <clears throat> sat in a, came into a home uh, that was about as, about the size of the main part of the stage here. Um, single mom, two girls. Um, had a little window out there, out their house uh, with a counter, and behind that counter was uh, a little, uh, some shelves with some supplies on it. Um, basic, basic things, and not a lot of it. <clears throat> and through that little store window, she was supporting herself, her girls, and they were going to a Christian school. And one was speaking, uh, learning to speak very good English, and uh, so I was able to communicate with her. And um, just w what a privilege. Uh, another place, a, a man had, <clears throat> they had borrowed money to get a um, wheelbarrow that they'd build a flat platform on it. <clears throat> and he would walk probably two miles uh, down into some fields and buy produce uh, in kind of bulk, as much as you could say, on this little wheelbarrow. <clears throat> fairly big platform they'd build on it. He'd push it back to home, and he and his wife and kids would take this produce and wrap it, take rubber bands and wrap it into little small uh, portions. And then uh, two days a week, or maybe three, I can't remember all the details, he would, he had a route that he would peddle this produce. And um, he was so proud, he, he showed us things in the house, a dirt floor, showed us things in the house that a chair he'd bought and a, something else he'd purchased and because he needed a little more things because it wasn't just his wife and kids, it was also his brother and his wife that were all living there together because of the financial situation they were in. And it was probably $100 or $150. Uh, to get this guy going with his wheelbarrow and some capital to uh, buy produce. And it was changing their life. And um, so when, when you see those kind of things, it's just, it's, it's just amazing. And uh, something I had never seen before. And uh, through the grace of this man and his organization, a number of us went down there and, and were able to view that and come back home and report about it. So thank you, bud. And, uh, and thank you, Linda. <laughs> That's probably, thank you, Linda. <clears throat> and uh, following an entrepreneur around is not, not always fun. Um, another thing on my plate this morning is I'm going to bring up Israel and Megan. And I just want to set the stage a little bit in the study of Ephesians because we're moving in the study of Ephesians from the first three chapters, uh, which has to do with who we are in Christ. And then it moves to, then how do we live? And so today in the, in the teaching will be a, a, a shift or an insight, if you will, into what that might mean to you in your life and what it might mean in the life of this local church. When we know who we are in Christ, and then we can put those things into practice. I call it the consequences of the gospel. Uh, the gospel is the good news. Yes, we know it gets us saved. It gets us the ticket to heaven. It gets us a relationship with Christ. But it, it does a whole lot. There's a whole lot of other consequences, just like these mission organizations and what have you. But in that process, and right where we are in Ephesians, it's going to talk about the church being established right in the middle of Judaism and a very hard thing 
is going to take place. Gentiles are going to come into the same relationship with Christ as Jews. And it, I'm not going to take time to go into all that background, but let me tell you something. <laughs> uh, black and white relations and, and what other relations that we might struggle with in, in our culture, thought of the Gentiles um, and Samaritans. Spit on it. Spit when they do their name. Go to the other side of the street. Good. Don't, you know, just all kinds of together. And it says that we are to be one in Christ. And as I come on Sunday mornings and, and view our fellowship here, I look over and I see Israel there, and uh, we go in to have donuts, and I want to go sit down and talk with Israel and see how life is. And I start to talk to Israel, and he gets that blank look on his face, like, what? And he looks over my shoulder and tries to find Megan so that she can come and tell me what we're talking about. Well, which brings up to me an issue in the body of Christ. Um, how do we minister to one another? A person's ministry to us when there are things like language barriers and maybe socioeconomic barriers that we've, we've not worked through in our own life together. And we're going to grill them. Now the, now, the rule here, I told Megan, is that she has to interpret everything. No matter what I ask or what he says, she has to give it the straight scoop. Now, I, I believe she's honest. And people. How many of you understand Spanish? Come on, raise them up. <laughs> Pico. Poco. Oh, Poco? Poco. Pico. Pico. Oh. <laughs> Don't let me start speaking it. I'll say something bad. Okay. Uh, How do you In la iglesia. In church. In Calvary Chapel in Rosarito. In Calvary Chapel in Rosarito. But he saw me in the singles group, the, the like the flock group down there. Pero salíamos a jugar frontón, este, los los solteros. And all the the singles went to the play racquetball. Robin era una de ellas, una americana. And Robin was another American there. Y este, y salíamos, me, me 
And she invited him. And we got together with some of the other brothers in Christ there. And she also invited me. It wasn't a setup. <laughs> <laughs> was Robin setting it up, or did you hone in on what Robin was trying to do here? No, I don't think Robin had any plans of doing that. She was working there. No, yeah, she didn't set it up. And so as this progressed, you asked her to go out with you, do, do things with you. Um, just um, greeting me in the church because he was an usher at church. In the beginning, he did not lead a very calm life. It was a fast life. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And because of the life he lived and the people he surrounded himself with, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. It says usually the Catholic Church is very strong in Mexico. And the church, the Christian church, he says, when he was little, his parents would take him to a church. But they never grew in Christ. He says life is just very different there and the parents have to work all the time in order to support their family. And the church that they were going to is very, he didn't say this, but legalistic. You don't, you dress a certain way, you don't wear baseball caps, certain things. And he didn't see anything real in that church. It says, it's not that it wasn't necessarily that he didn't see anything real, but they weren't prepared for the world of youth. For the world is more prepared for our youth than the church was. They invite you to dances, to go play soccer, go to a park, all of the same age, age kids get together. Then you start smoking and drinking. And it's good at first. It, it feels good at first. Oh, yeah. it's, it's good. And then before you know it, it's just normal. Pero regresando Going back to the question, um, the pastor Mike, um, knowing that he'd lived a fast life, they invited him to a tiny little church. About six people. Yeah. And about 30 kids. 
un hombre que amaba a Jesús. And he saw that Mike was a man that loved Jesus. Y entonces el Señor me empieza a hablar desde ahí. And God began to work in his heart. Este, por medio de una señora que se llama Laura. And through a woman named Laura. Y su esposo. And her husband. Él conoció a Calvary Chapel aquí, bueno, Jesús en Calvary Chapel en, en Los Ángeles. Sabino conoció. A... Oh, this, and this man, Laura's husband, Sabino, knew the Calvary Chapel in Los Angeles. Mucho. And he used to be a man that drank a lot. Creo que unos 40 años o más. For 40, over 40 years, he was drinking. Entonces, a veces me entendía cómo era mi vida. And so sometimes he understood what Israel's life was like. So he started inviting him to breakfast. And since he lived in Tijuana solo, um, solo <laughs> by himself, he lived in his, with his aunt. And he used to tell him, go to church. Pero como ya había asistido de, de niño con mis papás a la iglesia, pues sabía de qué me hablaba. So, and since he'd gone to church with his parents when he was little, he kind of knew what they were talking about. Había un misionero uh, como en el 85. And there was a missionary in about 1985. Este quedó en casa. That stayed, the, stayed with his family when he was little. Y entonces nos enseñó esta de Cristo me ama. And he taught him the song, Jesus Loves Me. And so throughout his life, that song had stuck in his head. And he knew that Jesus was Lord. And he listened to heavy metal music. And a lot of those songs talk about Jesus, but not in a good way. And they talk about another Lord. But not the real one. And when he arrived at that church as an usher, yo trabajo en un restaurante. He had, was also working as in a restaurant. Y este, pues tomaba mucho. And he drank a lot. Y, y también usaba otras cosas. And uh, did a few other things. Este, entonces llevaba una vida muy rápida. So he was, it was a quick life, a fast life. Y un día hablé con mi patrón. And one day he talked with his boss. And he says, I'm going a little too fast. I need some time. And he went to a place called Return to Christ. And Sabino, the guy who'd been inviting him to breakfast, um, told him, invited him to go there. And so Jesus did his thing with him there. He went originally for three months to get clean, according to him. That was his excuse. To get clean from the drugs and the alcohol. And the Lord spoke to him there the same way that he spoke to Peter when he says, Peter, do you love me? And he would say, yeah, I like you, Pero no te amo. but I don't love you. And then a pastor named Alex, when he came to talk to him when he was about done with his three months, and he asked Israel, what are you going to do when you get out? He said, I'm going to go back to my job and get an apartment. I have money. And the pastor would ask him, but what does God say about this? And Israel got really frustrated when he asked that question because he didn't know. 
And that, his, that was his plan. And the pastor asked him three or four times the same question. And it broke him. And he would cry. Because he didn't have the answer. Because normally he doesn't cry. It wasn't an option to cry. Not where he comes from. Men don't cry. And when he was finishing up six months, the pastor came and asked him again. It was a Sunday. And the, the preaching had been on that part where Peter was asked, Peter, do you love me? And the pastor said, my child, is God saying that you need to stay longer? And he said, I think so. And he didn't like being there. He'd get up early and he was the cook, so he'd make breakfast for 50 to 60 guys at 4 o'clock in the morning. And at 6 o'clock, breakfast was served. But he didn't like the smell of feet. And <laughs> he says, and it's like rocks when they're being buffed and they're, they're shined where they're knocked against each other. So that was God working a lot of things out with him. So he ended up staying nine months. When the pastor said, is God telling you that you need to stay more time? And he said, I think so. He went out a door. And he told God, you know, I don't like it here. But if you want me here, I'll stay. So he stayed. But he felt a big relief from a, something he had been carrying around. He'd already professed faith before. Um, for six months, he'd been doing really good. He cut his hair. He had it long. He burned all of his heavy metal rock group shirts and all the CDs that went with them and the heavy metal uh, magazines. He got rid of all those drug paraphernalia and he burned it all. He filled up two trash cans, big <laughs> trash cans. Pero and for those first six months when after he professed faith he was doing good he'd get to work and he'd be singing and he'd be singing hymns that he'd heard and remembered since he was little and he would sing them and he had a friend, another friend named Alex. They went, they started going to play billiards. Okay. Yes. Okay. We're going to.
this is to be continued. Yes, <laughs> that I continue. Yeah. And uh, because I want to hear about them getting together, proposing marriage, uh, and some of those things after that. And then I want to, and we'll do this in a couple weeks or when I come back preaching, two or three weeks. Uh, then I want to know from them, and you can think about that, yeah. how in the body of Christ, through these difficult things like um, another language, that we can know each other and that we can celebrate the oneness in Christ together. Now, we've probably been going 15 minutes or more with this kind of an interview. And if you know me, I really cherish my time to preach, okay? But, but I, I cherish something more than that. I cherish the body of Christ learning about one another, understanding one another, and supporting one another. And that's why I want to take time with this. And to me, this is such a joy uh, to see God working in a person's life, hearing his testimony and the things he's gone through. Now, when you talk to Israel or get maybe <laughs> translate so you can talk. Next time. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. That probably sparked a number of questions that you would like to ask, talk to um, them about, however you can do it through Megan or somebody else. And um, let's follow through on that with each other. T this morning, uh, we sang uh, in the songs Paul had for us a lot about power. If you, if you remember back to those songs, uh, he had asked me something about, about what I was teaching on. And one of the things, there's two, two things here. It's being a steward for God. But even mentioned that we're stewards of what God gives us, whether it's in agriculture or spiritual things. We're, we need to be stewards of them. We're, they're entrusted to us. So I, what I want to do this morning is I want to look in the first part of Ephesians here, Ephesians 3, as it makes this transition between who we are in Christ and then what's that going to do. Remember in Ephesians chapter 4, it starts out, therefore. And so we're making that transition from knowing that we've been chosen by God for good works, we've been uh, made joint heirs with Jesus, we're in Christ, we're a new creature, um, we have all the privileges that God's Son has in the kingdom, we will uh, live forever with Him in eternity because of our relationship with Christ. We live in a body uh, still uh, contaminated with sin, but we are a new creature. And so as we study all those things and think about them, now it's going to shift to what do we do with this? What do we do with this? And a great example of what you do with it is right here in Ephesians chapter 3 with Paul. Okay? Let me read it to you a little bit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you. Remember we talked about this last Sunday. He was a prisoner of Christ, not of the Jews, not of the Romans. He saw life as being imprisoned by Christ, captured by Christ. We call it a captured heart. And so he doesn't see life circumstances as being something that the world fosters on you. He sees it as something that God allows, ordains, and uses to build you, to develop you, and to reach others. And so that's why he calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Then he says, but what happens after he's a prisoner? If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. So after being a prisoner, claiming that he's a prisoner of Christ, he starts right in on the subject of being a 
steward of Christ. To be a steward means to be a manager of somebody else's affairs. To be a steward, uh, maybe it's uh, household things, maybe it's finances, maybe it's uh, what, what, whatever it might be. Uh, when you go to work for somebody else, you become a steward of their things. Uh, my grandson Josh had a, a quite a good experience going to work for Kent's Market on Airport Road. It was the first job that, that Josh had, other than just short-time jobs, the first where he went and was trained, talked to, explained who you are when you're a, who you are and what you do when you're an employee for Kent's Market. And I want to tell you something. There's a reason behind the fact that you can't hardly get in the Kent's Market half the time. The cars are so thick, the people are in there. Uh, and then Friday night when it's barbecue, you just, I mean. But you go into Kent's Market, and if you haven't done this, go in and look at the, look at the walk down the aisles and look at the things on the aisles. Josh came home and he goes, holy cow, this is how you do things at Kent's Market. This is what's expected of you when you work at Kent's Market. This, this is what happens when they say there's propane out there to be filled at Kent's Market. And in that great big rainstorm, he never got out of there for six hours putting propane in people's building. And he was, in his, um, he was walking in water the whole time. When you work for Kent's Market, you're an employee that worries about the customers and you worry about the reputation of Kent's Market. It was a great training ground for Josh. That's what it means to be a steward of somebody else's stuff. It isn't just showing up, doing your job, and getting paid. It is representing them in every aspect. And that's what it means here when Paul calls himself a steward of God. Now, what is he a steward of? Well, it tells us right next, there next. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. More specifically that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. So what he's going to go on to explain here is that after God captured him, and he was captured, he, Paul wasn't one of those people that heard the gospel, given an invitation, and said, I, hey, I think I'd like to do that. No. He was out hunting Christians down, sending them to prison, having some of them killed when God knocked him flat. And he says later, and maybe we'll even read it, in one portion, I think it's in Corinthians, that if I do this out of volunteer, I get a reward. If I do it under uh, obligation, or because I've been captured, he said, I I'm a steward, and that's a, good, and that's a good thing. And I'm blessed for it. That he recognized that this wasn't his choice at all, God had something for him to do and just went and got him. So what he ends up to be a steward of is the revelation that God gave him. He and the apostles were given the revelation of God's uh, um, thinking on salvation, of the church, of who we are, who God is, the things that are written in the, uh, by the apostles that make up our New Testament. That's the revelation that he's talking about. Specifically, he's talking about the part of the revelation that said, uh, Paul, I know you have your multi doctorate from Camille. Camille, I know you have that. I know you're a, um, a, a very powerful Pharisee. I know that they entrust you with going out and capturing Christians. You are the big dog. I know you're that but you're not going to be that anymore. I am going to make you a steward of my things, my revelation. And that revelation is going to be that you, this very important Jew of the past, is become a, a buddy, a fellow believer, a Christian, a brother and sister, a brother with your sisters in Christ, and they're going to come from every walk of life. And I can imagine what 
Paul must have tried to grasp and wrestle with. I mean, he was born of privilege. He was not only a Roman, he was a Roman citizen, he was a Pharisee, he had been educated to the nth degree, he had been given power, he had been given privilege. All that goes, and he is going to become a servant of Christ, which is going to tie him to being a brother with, with people in high places in Rome and slaves. It's going to put him in this congregation of people where there is no special Jewish privilege. We're all one in Christ. No matter the economic background, no matter the social background, no matter the, your heritage, uh, no matter your race, uh, it's not going to make any difference anymore. Paul is thrust into this body of Christ that the, the slave, Gentile slave, has as much right to the throne of God as he has. And then what he is going to, then he gives it that stewardship, and then he says, uh, down there a little farther, um, let me look at it here, he's going to say, by the power, if we look at verse, um, let's see, in Christ through the gospel, verse 7, of which I made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Now he's going to tell us that this job that he's been given to be a stewardship of God's grace is going to have to be done in the power of Jesus. You know why? Because when he takes this message that God has revealed to him, and he takes it into Jewish synagogues, and he takes, he takes it throughout the land, and he's better known as a Jew, so he starts there many times in the Jewish circles. You know what it's going to do? It's going to cause riots. It's going to cause... Uh, mob violence, he's going to be thrown in prison. He's going to, this is not a message that is going to be taken quietly. Now, on the other side of that, there are people that are going to hear it, and they're going to go, whoa, I had no hope. I, I, I was trapped in sin, and that's the sweetest, best message I've ever heard, and I'm going to be a brother with you in Christ, and I'm gonna ha I'm gonna be able to pray. I'm gonna have my sins forgiven. I'm gonna I, we're gonna we're all gonna be one in this body. I, I never heard anything so beautiful. And we know that slaves and and commoners and everybody else comes to Christ through that message. But we also know that it wasn't well received either. In fact, he was persecuted for it. Is eventually put to death for it. Okay, so. What he needs is the power of God. Now, um, Ephesians 3.7 says he needs the power. Ephesians 3.20 um, also mentions that same thing, that it's according to the power. Now to him, verse 20, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ for all generations. So, one of the great lessons we learn is when you're captured and made a prisoner of Jesus Christ, it's not just to get you to heaven. It's not just to get you in a relationship with Christ, although that is the ultimate. It's through that relationship with Christ, the consequences of this revealed truth that Paul has he writes it down, the other men write it down, the New Testament is given to us because that's revealed truth. It's righteousness revealed. It's God's thinking revealed. And so we come to Christ, but then we are made stewards, just like he was made a steward. Um, go to uh, Colossians chapter 1, one um, please, with me. I think we read there to begin with. But I, w I just want to go back and remind us. Anybody know where Colossians is in their Bible? Never mind, I found it. Colossians 1, 9. Here's, here's where it gets passed on. The stewardship gets passed on. Colossians 1, 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, 
We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The same revelation that Paul and Peter and the other ones received as apostles, they write it down. Here they're telling them, but later they get it written down, and it's passed on to us. So he's praying that we will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So this stewardship gets passed on to us. And so if you're a believer, if you've come to life in Christ, you're employed, as it were, by God. He makes you a steward. Now, one of the things that Paul had to do with his stewardship was he had to practice the truth. He had to practice what was given to him. Jew and Gentile are going to worship together, travel together, do things together as, as believers in Christ. Whether it's a slave or whether it's a, a Roman um, magistrate of some kind, when they come to Christ, they're one. So Paul had to practice that. And I'm sure that, that oftentimes he just looked and said, I can't believe where I am in this world. I, I, I started out, look, what I, look who I was. Now, by God's grace, who I am, I have fellowship in the body of Christ with whomever. So he had to practice the revelation. And God asked us to know it and to practice it. And it's not just about Jew and Gentiles becoming one. It's the whole book. It's the whole New Testament. It's all, it's all the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. How do we act? How do we respond? What is, because of who we are in Christ, how has that changed our life? And, and what are the decisions we make? And, and all the rest, you know? Do we uh, stay a little longer and uh, get cleaned up a little better in that situation in Mexico? Yeah, yeah. The guy asked him, you, know, you, you sure that's what God wants you to do? You want to leave? Are you sure? You, are you hearing from God? So it's, it's, a, it's an entirely different way of life. Israel was coming out of a, of a pagan way of life, and he was coming into a walk with the Lord, a complete change. So Paul was asked to practice it. The next thing he's asked to do is protect it. And we see in his life him protecting with great effort and sacrifice the revelation of God. He has to go before different people. He even goes back to Jerusalem and, and has, to, has to defend his revelation to the beginning of the church people there. So he, he has to protect it. And then he has to proclaim it. We're stewards of God's grace. We're stewards of the riches of God's mercy and love. And he wants us to practice it. He wants us to protect it. He wants us to proclaim it. Now, what's that look like today in our culture? Is that an easy thing to be a steward of God's truth? Well, it wasn't an easy thing for Paul. And oftentimes, it's not a very easy thing for us. In fact, I'll tell you that it can be very, very difficult. And you could probably tell me of the times it's been very difficult for you. There's sacrifices. There's friendships. There's jobs. There's opportunities. There's a lot of things that get sacrificed for being a steward of God's grace of God's righteousness. So the question comes to us as individuals and as a church body, how far are we going to go 
individually. Not only to practice it, but to, to protect it and to proclaim God's truth, God's righteousness. I want to start with some uh, just common things that I see coming up that has come up in my life and is coming up in, in the lives of my grandchildren and, and uh, others that I know. Let's just take the very simple thing, the gospel. How far are we going to go to protect the gospel, to act on it, to protect it, and proclaim it? Now, we have to know what it is. We have to know what we're defending. We have to know what we're believing, so we have to know the gospel. And we've gone over that here, and I'm not going to spend time doing that again, but Christ died for our sins. He went to the cross for our sins. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin. We have to trust that. Paul, Paul gives us that in, in uh, Corinthians, a very plain explanation of the gospel. And that, that's fine. That, that seems like a good thing, and it, it seems like, well, that's not going to cause any problems. And now my unsaved friends, they may, they, may, uh, they may understand it. I might tell them about it, and they may just kind of look at me a little glassed over and thinking about it and wondering if they're um, sinners or wondering if they need this or if they're going to examine it some more. Uh, the unsaved may look at it that way. But then there's the saved or the semi-saved or whatever you want to call them. There's people within the body of Christ. There's a rancher in Modoc County, and he's a Christian man, and he shares his faith, and he's, he says, if you were to talk to him, he'd, he'd ask you, are you a Christian, are you saved? And you'd say, yes. And the next question would be, have you been baptized? And if you answered no, then he would tell you that you're not saved yet. You're not saved yet. It's trusting God's grace, but it's also <clears throat> acting upon it in this area of salvation. Another friend might say to you, um, yeah, I'm saved. Are you saved? I said, yeah, I'm saved. Um, you're a Christian? Yeah, you're a Christian. I notice you don't observe the Sabbath. Uh, well, no, I don't observe Saturday as a Sabbath. Um, well, if they were deep into this religion, uh, they would say, uh, well, I can't really uh, trust your salvation if you're not going to obey the Sabbath teaching. What do I do with that? Those are awkward situations. Uh, those are our friends. How, how, do, how, how do we deal with that? Those are things that we come into uh, all the time. There, there, there's, a, there's a thing now that uh, if a person would ask me what I believed about the gospel, and I said, I put my trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior, he died for me, and I needed that, and he trusted me, and I trusted him as our Lord and Savior, and if, then he might say, well, that's not all there is to the gospel. And I said, well, what else is there to it? He said, did you know that the gospel guarantees that you will be cured? You can, health is guaranteed in the gospel. Well, what do you, what do you say to that? What do you... Really? Do, do, do you just ignore that? Do you, do you say, well, I think you're adding something to the gospel that's not there? And um, do, so how do you do that? How do you, how do you graciously do these things? How do, how do, are we, am I or you or this body of believers here, where, 
where do we, how do we understand the gospel and how do we defend it? I think, I think that's an important issue. Um, turn with me to um, Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll get a little insight in here on how we work these things out in our life. What, what, what's our, how do we do this? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now look, as a result of that growth and building up and understanding the scripture and following it, as a result of that, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. So, now that's interesting. Because oftentimes I want to just retreat to, I'm going to live my Christian life the way I'm supposed to. People will see it and they will be drawn to Christ. But this addresses something where a person is captured by, maybe unsaved, by the deceitful scheming of man, or maybe saved by the deceitful scheming of man, but somehow he's off track. He's tossed by waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, the craftiness of deceitful scheming. How do I help him? It says, by the speaking the truth in love. So what Paul learned, and hopefully we learn, and hopefully I learn, that you practice it, you protect it, but you have to proclaim it. You have to proclaim truth. You have to study it. You have to know it. You have to be able to speak truth to get this person out of being captured in this sin, whatever it is, this way of life. I think sometimes we've changed this around, speaking the truth in love, to say, well, I love you, and I have empathy for you, and I don't want to embarrass you, so I'm not going to speak the truth. We, we've switched it around. I, 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 I don't want to cause a ripple. I don't want to... Um, Christ says, we got to hear, Paul's writing is, you have to speak the truth, but you do it in love. So there is a way to do this. You do it with compassion. You speak the truth with love. In Galatians, we won't turn there, but Galatians 6, 1 says, if any brother is overtaken a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of weakness and gentleness, so that you won't be realizing that you could be tempted. So it's with, it's with compassion, but it's with gentleness, it's with meekness. Uh, that you try to restore someone that has been caught up in sin. Now, um, I'm be careful with that time. Um, come back to this on another another day. But um, turn with me to First Corinthians chapter six, and I'll I'll, I'll try to wrap it up here with a few thoughts. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, excuse me. I think. I don't know where it is. No, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it starts in, find the right page here. Quit rustling through your pages all the time. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, or homosexuals, or thieves, nor covenants, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were what? Washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You were justified. 
Now, we are confronted with all those kinds of sin in our culture today. And if somebody, uh, let's say a, a wife phones me up and said, my husband, could you help him? He's trapped in pornography. He just, I, I, I can't believe that he's in it. Hey, could you talk with him? And I say, yeah, sure, I'll talk with him. So you bring him to me, and, and you know, let, let's say I have this attitude. Well, men will be men. That's, that's yeah. We're, we're created by God with that um, stimulation. That, that's a God thing. Um, yes, it's supposed to be in our marriage, but... A little of that outside of marriage is, is, I mean, really. So I need to call your wife up and say, you know, men are men. And probably you ought to just be a little bit more understanding. Thank you very much. I send him back home. How much victory does he have in his life? How much joy does he have in his life? He's still in prison. If I, if I can't take that to the scriptures and show him that that's sin and that God has, will give him victory over it, he needs to confess it as sin. It's not just the way he was made. Well, of course. But it's, it's a sinful expression of how we're made. If he can't get victory over that, then he can't come to church and sing victory in Jesus. He can't come to church and, with his wife and his family and, and praise God together and, and, and rejoice in the victory that we have in Jesus. And I'll just close with these comments and come back to them at a later date. We have as individuals and, of church, and the, as a church the responsibility to be the steward of God's revealed truth. We have to learn it. We have to practice it, we have to protect it, we have to proclaim it. If you're not sure what unrighteousness is and what righteousness is, you go to Ephesians, go to Galatians, go to 1 Corinthians, um, can't quote it right after that, and start looking at those lists. And Paul is not, a, not bashful about writing the lists of unrighteousness and the lists of righteousness and saying, this is sin, this is unrighteousness, this is holiness, this is righteousness, we've got to move from here to here. It doesn't help people to minimize their sin. It doesn't help me if you allow me to minimize my sin. What helps me is when I'm confronted with my sin, when a, when a brother puts his arm around me and says, hey, you're struggling in this area, you know, let me help you with it. Let me help you clean that up. Let me, let me help you be more this or that. And then I come to a group of people that are all doing that on a Sunday morning, confessing their sins one to another, um, encouraging one another as the day grows shorter. Um, so there, there is in the body of Christ then this place of hope and victory. Not pandering. Not going, oh, well, I, you know. You know, sometimes when I think that when we say, uh, because I have empathy for you, I have love for you, I really don't want to confront your sin. I know in my own life what that usually means. That means, no, Jerry, you're worrying more about yourself than you are about his being trapped in sin. You're worrying, worrying more about you sounding judgmental or, or holier than thou or, or something else. That's what you're worried about. You're not worried about him understanding the truth of forgiveness. And so I, I, I think when God calls us to be stewards, it's an awesome, wonderful thing. It can be very difficult at times, and Paul's life was difficult. It can be difficult. If I know in your families and my family and uh, to speak of uh, some things that are very sinful and to uh, bring them up in our families and uh, even confront somebody with it is a, is a very difficult thing. But you know, what's, you, know, you know what makes it all worth it? Is that day 
that they recognize it's sin and they confess it as sin and they have joy in their heart because they've submitted themselves to the Lord Jesus in his word. And then they show up in church and then they stand up in church and then they tell their friends, this is the victory I have in Christ Jesus. Wow. We get stewards of God's truth and his grace. Yeah, is it hard? Is it difficult? Yeah, do we need to pray about it? Do we need to encourage one another? Do we need to talk about it in our, our groups and, and wrestle with how we do it? Yeah, we do, because it's, it's a reality. But I'll tell you what, it is a wonderful employment that he's brought us to, to be stewards of God's grace. Our Father, my God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for being plain in Scripture for us. Thank you for encouraging us. And help us as individuals and help us as a corporate body here in Oak Grove to know who we are and where we're going to stand and what, what our church is going to look like today, tomorrow, and the times to come as, as sin grows and grows and grows around us. And how do we lovingly handle that? How do we lovingly confront? How do we lovingly encourage those toward victory in Jesus? Help us to know how to do that, Lord, and we'll praise you in his name. Amen.